Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. Uh, Have you ever had that moment where you have prayed and prayed and prayed for something and God seems to be saying no, and you begin to wonder, does that mean I've done something wrong? Does that mean God isn't happy with me? Does that mean that God's not coming through for me? Well, that very thing happened to some guys in the Old Testament. They're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, and they had some wise words. They say to the the king about to uh, kill them for not bowing down to his idol, they say, we believe our Lord will save us, but even if he doesn't, we'll still praise him. That's a kind of faith that a lot of us have longed for and desperately need, especially in the light of the last two years of disappointments. Today, we get to hear from a pastor and author by the name of Mitchell Lee, who talks about what it means to have even if kind of faith. Uh, He has a great story for us. We're going to talk about his multi-ethnic congregation as well. I think you're really going to be blessed by what he has to say. Uh, As always, we are sponsored by Compassion.com, Compassion International, which helps sponsor kids and get them out of third world country situations, even though they may still live there. You can literally change a family's life by sponsoring one child. So go to Compassion.com slash Rusty to sponsor a child today. Well, I want you to hear my conversation with Mitchell Lee, and you're going to think of somebody you want to share this with, and make sure that you do. Thanks so much for listening. Here we go, Mitchell Lee. Mitchell Lee, thank you so much for being on the Leading Simple podcast. It is great to meet you. I know we have a mutual friend that kind of got us connected, so grateful for Don to doing that. Uh, for our listeners that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Rusty. Good to meet you, and thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a pastor out here on the East Coast at a church called Grace Community Church, uh, about halfway between Baltimore and Washington, D.C., and I'm a Maryland native. Uh, been here uh for about 20 some years and then moved to Chicago where my wife and I say we became adults and then came back to Maryland and been here for 10 years. And that's probably the most important thing you need to know about me is my wife, Sarah and I, we have five children, um, ages 14 Whoa. all the way to four. Yes. And I, I tell you, I love it, but I don't recommend it uh, to, to people. It's a lot of chaos. I was going to say, were you Mormon for a while? It's or crazy, something? man. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, you know, we were actually, we both wanted four. And we were really good. And we had a we had three boys and then we got a girl. We're like, hey, we're really good. But I guess the Lord thought we weren't dependent enough and um, gave us another boy who we loved. And so, yeah, we got five of them. And uh, I'm a Korean-American by heritage. My parents immigrated to the United States in 1974. I was born here in 75. Like I said, grew up in Maryland. But spent time significantly in Maryland, Chicago, and spent about a two-year time kind of finding myself in South Korea as well. And so I'd like to say that the Lord kind of took me to various corners of the earth uh, to mold me, and is still molding me today. Well, tell me about that. that. That's really interesting. Tell me what do you mean by the Lord helped you find yourself uh, in uh, South Korea? Yeah, you know, the, the, it's the idea that uh, all of us have very unique stories. And God uses the details of our life, whether it's our heritage, our families of origin, all of these things to form us. And it's not just forming us for us, but it's forming us so that we can be a, a partner, a gift to the world for his kingdom's sake. And as a Korean American growing up uh, here, being born here, looking on the outside like I'm Korean, but really being American for all intents and purposes, uh, I was always living in between there. And as I graduated college and was really exploring this call to ministry, 
um, and you know, really felt called to be a bridge builder. And I wasn't thinking really multi-ethnically rusty. I was thinking more kind of generationally between a first generation Korean church and second generation Korean Americans like myself trying to be a bridge builder there. And, and my dad was like, well, if you're going to really do that kind of work, you better understand who you are, where you came from. And so I went to Korea right after I graduated college. I lived there for about a year and a half, two years, learned the language, hmm. uh, learned culture, learned church culture, right? Which can be different. Wow. Um, and really kind of understood my origin story. And, you know, if you're a Marvel fan, you know, that that's always the important thing about an, any hero has to have an origin story and where that came from and helps connect the dots. And that was what, what my time in Korea was really about. What do you know now you didn't know before? Oh, man. I'm sure there's a ton. But when you think about your origin story, what were the two or three puzzle pieces that kind of made you go, ah, now I kind of get it? Uh, I think, you know, the very unique dynamics that my dad experienced with his dad. Hmm. And so that's a big one that helped explain so much about how he came to faith, but also kind of the the baggage and the burdens that he continued carried even as after he became a Christian. I understood my mom's origin stories and from her siblings and that really connected a lot of dots too. So it helped me make sense of my family of origin, um, hmm. the gifts that my family, my parents were, but also the things that I, oh, Lord, I need you to undo and change in that. So that was definitely a, a part of it. And just seeing a different expression of church. I'd never really seen the expressions of the Korean church. I mean, um, I think, you know, I both lead what we would consider in the States pretty large churches. But when you're at, a, when you're, when you visit a church of 18,000 people and the whole town turns into this city of Christians on a Sunday, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see what God is doing in different parts of the world. So that too was a big takeaway for me. Okay, so that's obviously a major difference between churches out here and churches over there. I think a lot of us, when we think about churches on the other side of the world, we think, oh, they're house churches, they're small churches, they're underground churches, um, more experiential, more uh, Pentecostal perhaps. Explain to us a little bit of the differences between the Korean church and the American church. Yeah. Um, wow. It's a, that's a really good question, Rusty. So some of the differences, you know, in the American church, when we, we start actually as, uh, as our baseline, like our individual, right? We come to a church and what's, what's this church have for me? What does it offer for me? Like the, the baseline is the individual's needs and desires. Hmm. And so as much as we try to talk about church as a family in, in America, you're always pressing up against that. Like, yeah, we're a family, but at the end of the day, I go to my place, you go to your place. And, you know, we're we're individuals in the family of God. The Korean church, partly because the Korean culture is very collectivist. It really uh, um, operates from a place of like, no, it's a we. Um, it's, a, it's the communal is the baseline that we start from. That has both strengths and weaknesses, just like the individual um, has both strengths and weaknesses. So, but it's, it's definitely a part of it. So like community life together, um, it's very together. We do this together. We go after this together, but then also there's a very kind of hierarchical Confucian, um, imprint. And so there's kind of a distance between a pastor and the people, hmm. you know, and so that too can be a strength, but it can also be a weakness. And that's, I mean, that's a bit of a generalization, but I think it kind of captures a little bit about some of the differences. Um, yeah, you do have really small churches. Uh, one of the funnest things you could ever do is when you're flying into Korea at night and you're landing, just 
pull up your window shade, look outside, you'll see a sea of red crosses huh. over the city. And it'll, it'll just mark out all these different churches. So some of the churches are tiny. Sometimes you'll have a building that has a church on the first floor and a separate church on the third floor. Hmm. Uh, but then just like here, you have these mega churches that kind of anchor everything. And, and those things, those churches can, are just huge. Hmm. Right? They're massive and they're influential. And, um, but just like in the States, the, uh, the churches, the mega churches have really taken their hits as well. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a big pruning that God is doing there, too. Uh, explain to me, for those of us that uh, are, you know, Americans uh, and we have never really ventured out, uh, we don't know very much, we think about North Korea and the struggles we see there, South Korea, and this explosion of churches and Red Crosses and all that you're talking about. How long has that been going on? Where did that come from? Um, is that a, a recent thing? Has that been going on for generations? Mm -hmm. I mean, this sounds like a, a very prevalent thing, much more maybe even than it is in America right now. Yeah, you see a great move. I mean, you're probably talking in the 1950s, uh, 60s, uh, after the Korean War, hmm. uh, the presence of Korean missionaries coming, uh, Presbyterianism takes root, uh, and then you just see the church start to flourish and grow uh, in South Korea. Um, depending on who you talk to, a lot of people will say that it's because of the suffering uh, of uh, South Korea as a country, that suffering was the seedbed upon which the church uh, grew. Um, but even during the Japanese uh, occupation, you would kind of see more like house churches, which you were describing, Rusty, that these kind of you know, underground movements, uh, but it really began to flourish. And then as Western influence hit Korea and a lot more... Um, financial resources and all these sorts of things, you saw the church start to take shape and grow. And, you know, they face um, what I hear. I haven't been there in, in a number of years, but the churches there are facing many of the same sorts of challenges that American churches are facing in terms of consumerism and uh, compromise and the, you know, the, the secular mindset and all of these sorts of things. Um, yeah, there's, there's various similar, very similar patterns. You know, I talk to a lot of people uh, in our church and in churches in general that are fearful of what they would consider to be a coming persecution in America of Christians and churches. Some would say that we're already there with some of the things that we endured through the COVID season or maybe a little bit of the neglect of churches, or we're just being overlooked now like we never have been before. I would imagine from your perspective, you would probably have something to say about a suffering church and some of the benefits from that? Am I misspeaking there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, but look at the scriptures. The scriptures are, right. you know, Jesus promises of that. In this world, you will have trouble. Right. Right. Um, you know, and um, I mean, I believe me, I, I don't, I, if I had a choice, I wouldn't choose suffering. <laughs> but if I think about the places in my life where God has grown me and stretched me and formed my character and forged me into the image of Christ, it is through the, the valleys and, and suffering. And I believe that that to be true for the, the church overall. I mean, I mean, even church history, Rusty, if we just look at church history, uh, there's a guy named Philip Jenkins. He's a, a sociologist, history of religion guy at, at, um, at Penn State. And he's got an interesting book. Uh, it's called The Lost History of Christianity. Hmm. And he talks about movements in within church history where the church died. And he says, we don't like to talk about this because we like to have a victorious, like, oh, no, the church, you know, the gates of hell will not overcome it. And 
we try to think about the church always going, growing and always overcoming everything. He says, but look at, look at some of these periods of time and you'll see the church went extinct in certain regions. And we have to have a theology of extinction because the Lord is the one who bl- uh, builds and plants and the Lord is also the one who uproots. And hmm. So I believe that like, gosh, the sooner we can wrap our head around that God uses suffering and uh, that it's not always to be avoided. Right. Um, I wonder if that would get us sooner about our mission and how we can actually make it, uh, have an influence of salt and light in this world. Oh, that's well said. That could be a whole other podcast there of the mm-hmm. the ministry of suffering. I, we all see that in our own life. I mean, you go through personal suffering, you know you come out a different person, oftentimes better. I think you have a choice during that suffering, but the church as well. Uh, we've never experienced it like that. We're all afraid of it. We're all nervous about it, but it is the way the church has grown. You can go all the way back to the book of Acts and see how persecution broke out. And then suddenly we began to fulfill what Jesus told us to go, you know, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yeah. Okay. So I want to shift gears into something that's near and dear to your heart. You mentioned you're a Korean American Mm -hmm. and you have built a multi-ethnic congregation I would think that every pastor, church leader, leader in a church out there is thinking two things. One, well, I'd like to do that too. I'm not opposed to that. And two, uh, I think we have done that. Um, But the reality is most of us have not. Most of us probably have one demographic that's kind of overriding our entire church demographic. How did you go about building a multi-ethnic congregation uh, did it help just because you are a Korean American, or did you do things strategically to help reach out to multiple uh, people in your community? Just walk us through some of the the process of creating a church that reaches all different types of people. Yeah, man, it's like, gosh, if I had a, like a succinct answer for this, I think I'd write another book <laughs> on it, honestly. Because, um, I mean, really, it's not, uh, we like to say around here that, uh, multi-ethnicity is not the goal of our church it's actually our stewardship Mm. and what i mean by that it's really god something that god has done and and you know even some of the ways that you intimated uh myself coming into this role as a korean american uh our church you know even 10 years ago was probably you know 80 90 percent white 10 percent everything else and over 10 years we've seen that shift to probably about like 50 percent white 50 percent asian american african african american hispanic uh kind of all in that uh that mix together wow so you know myself coming into this role and people seeing people like oh like oh he looks like me i think that's a big part of it so who you put on the stage but that's kind of the that's the formula that everybody will tell you right that um if you want to be multi-ethnic you have to have a leadership that represents and that people will come um, I should probably start by prefacing and saying, uh, this might surprise people, but I'm not actually of the conviction that every church has to be multi-ethnic. Hmm. You know, there are some people in the the circles I run in saying, man, if you're not a multi-ethnic church, you're not you're not a biblical representation of heaven. I just want to, like, if anybody's listening to this right now and feeling like, man, I, I'm less than if I don't if I have a homogenous church, I just want to say, like, that's a lie. Like, hmm. um, I grew up from a homogenous background. It just happened to be all Korean church and Korean Americans. And this is a unique stewardship that God has called me into uh, to help steward what he has already begun. Uh, and in those 10 years, we made some very strategic decisions as to like who we're going to hire. 
but not just like who we're going to hire, but where we're going to hire from. Mm-hmm. So I meet a lot of church leaders like, oh, yeah, I would love to diversify my staff. But they go back to the same wells and they're like, well, I'm not seeing any diverse st- uh, candidates. Mm. Um, well, it's probably because the wells that you're drawing from aren't on the radars of the kind of candidates you're looking for if you want diversity. Hmm. Um, so that's a big piece of it. Uh, so your leadership has to represent. But honestly, Rusty, like here's the part that nobody – and it's related to suffering. you got to be willing to be really awkward and really uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> man, like I'm like I'm realizing, man, one of the standards for a multi-ethnic church is like nobody's ever fully comfortable. Right? Like you're, everybody's always willing – to set aside their preference for to understand somebody else. Oh my gosh, so hard, so hard. And you can imagine, and probably in your experience too, the last two years have just been brutal for that because yeah, it just, we know we've been exposed. Like, oh my gosh, like we're at multi-ethnic in our attendance, but we're not really multi-ethnic in our ethos as a church and how we think and how we love one another. And we've had to really go back to the drawing board for some of those things. And can, God's given us a big reset. Can you give me some specifics on that? What what things are uncomfortable uh, in your church that your people have to wrestle with as they just get, as they love each other? So, I mean, you could think about worship expression, right? That's the easiest <laughs> one. Uh, everybody's, you know, great as long as you're singing, I don't know, Hillsong, right? And but then you start bringing in a gospel piece and people are like, whoa, wait, whoa, what, what is this? Like, um, and what's the theology of this? I'm not quite sure if I, and you realize, oh man, like there was a certain type of worship expression that I'm comfortable with and everything else feels a little bit weird. Or when you get start to get people kind of calling, responding to your message and, you know, I'm, I'm not as usually comfortable with that, but I'm going to roll with it. Um, <laughs> some of those things that are kind of like, oh, yeah, that's not as that's not as comfortable. Um, you could even think about it in terms of Rusty the the national scene, right? When you have a multi ethnic con- uh, congregation, different things on the radar mean different, like matter differently to people, mm. and so it's you're always walking this kind of tightrope of. I gotta, I'm trying to shepherd my entire congregation and what matters to my black and brown brothers and sisters might not be on, even on the radar for Asian Americans and or whites. And so when I talk to this, our culture is telling you, can, you can't, if you're gonna talk to it, you have to vilify one person. You have to make somebody the villain. And in the kingdom of God, where there is grace and compassion that's driving us, you have to really make sure that people are hearing, hey, I'm not saying that, we're not saying that. We're just trying to show compassion to this part of our body. It's, a, it's really a, quite a challenge in that, in that respect. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. We put together a really great resource to help you help people with their faith after they've crossed the line of faith. So for those who've been baptized recently, or maybe they're making a decision for Christ on an Easter weekend, hand them this short little book called A Simple Path to Following Jesus to help them in their faith journey. You can find it on Amazon, A Simple Path to Following Jesus, or check it out on my website, pastorrustygeorge.com. Okay, back to our conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. You think that there's, I think we all underestimate how much just personal comfort and preference plays into our version of theology and what we would stamp as, uh, well, this is what is biblical. Well, 
I don't know if it's biblical. I think it's more of a personal preference, whether it's music style, whether it's even things like masks or no masks, you know, I mean, we're, uh-huh. I mean, the reality is we, we don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. And oh, by the way, that's because we're created that way by God. Well, so, you know, it, it is interesting to, to think about the barriers we have to get over with each other. So, so tell me a little bit about the book, Even If, Where, where'd that come from? Yeah. So, I mean, it's really, I mean, this is really God ordained our conversation because all of these themes that we've been talking about with about suffering and the way God molds us. Mm. Um, that's really the, the, the primary theme of this book, this book, even if this message It's two words that you find in Daniel chapter three. Uh, if you probably remember the story as a Sunday school, you know, in Sunday school of these three Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who are friends of Daniel, they're uh, Babylonian uh, government officials and they refuse to bow to the statue of the king. And it's treated as an insurrection, an act of rebellion, treason. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, threatens them. He says, if you don't bow to this uh, statue, uh, I'm going to throw you in this fire. And who's the God who's going to save you? And it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I think also there's a real powerful question in that, like, who's the God who's going to save you? Because this God who they were pledging a loyalty to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he didn't save them Mm -hmm. when Jerusalem fell. He handed them over, and yet they're saying, hey, our God can save us, and even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't do what we know he could and what we know he should, we're not going to worship anyone else. Like That kind of resolve, Rusty, like I want that resolve to, like, I, I mean, this morning, I was like, God, give me that kind of resolve where my worship of you doesn't depend on the results, doesn't depend on what you do for me today because you've already done so much for me in the cross and who christ is and how you've saved me that's the message that i've that has been kind of incubating in my heart for about 19 years mm. um and that's where this message this book came from I, I love that analogy i think many of us have preached that before the whole even if which by the way there's a great song by mercy me called even if where they talk about that i yep. think that's one of their strongest ever yeah but I, I, I'm I'm immediately thinking about, based on our previous conversation about suffering, how the reason we want to be delivered from suffering is twofold. One, we don't want to suffer. And two, because we want to show the victory we have in Christ, that he brought us through this. Everything is up and to the right. We're successful. Jesus gave us his blessing. But if you think about it, you know, Jesus is on the cross and they're calling out to him, save yourself. What a great way for him to prove who he is, just to come down off the cross and say, there you go. But he seemingly loses, but something else obviously is going on. I think that's what we miss in our suffering is while it looks like in the world's scoreboard we've lost, there's, there's something deeper going on. That's the even if mentality you're talking about there, right? Yeah, it's a resolve that's it's – and it's not just a um, – Oh, who cares? Case sarah, sarah. Let's just go through with it, right? It's 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 right. it's a resolve that's based on the goodness of God. Our God can save, and He will save. Mm. But it's also a releasing. It's a surrender of like. But I know He's so good that even if He doesn't do what I want Him to or I think He should, I'm going to continue to worship Him. And it's actually one of those things that once you kind of get that lens on, you begin to see it everywhere in the scriptures. You begin to see it in um, like, uh, the, the the apostles, the disciples, when people are deserting Jesus and Jesus is like, 
are you going to go to? And they're like, where would we go? Mm. Right. With you are the words of life. Like even without using the words, you hear this kind of, even if God, everyone deserves, like we're going to worship you or I mean, Hebrews 11, you know, this hall of faith, you ever notice like what, what, what qualifies somebody for the hall of faith mm. that it's repeated actually twice the description that they did not get what they were hoping for. Uh huh. Right. I'm like, oh man, that's what gets you. Like, it's not your stats. Right. <laughs> it's not sermons preached and right. and um, number of people saved. It's it's oh, you didn't get what you probably what you were hoping for. Hey, come on in the hall of faith. You know, like, but that's that's the experience of so much of the saints of old, Christians of old, and you know, I, Rusty, I was I was with a a group of church planners about um, two months ago, just sharing this message with them. And you could literally see in the room, like burdens, like their shoulders just kind of coming up a little bit because these burdens are being lifted. Of man, they were had so many like this pressure, like to perform and to and to produce, and 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 they were putting all of that pressure, and they were kind of receiving it as if it was from the Lord. Like God's given them all this pressure to produce and perform, and all these expectations, and they were dying under them. Hmm. Right, because they felt like they had to keep proving themselves and and keep hedging their bets and all these I call them in the book counter ifs these sort of instead of we say even if we say only if mm. right the conditions only if God you do this only if you heal only if you lead me to the woman I'm supposed to marry only if da 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 will I worship you or the if only of regrets like if only I could have done this or been something different da 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 you know and and we imagine a different fantasy version of ourselves or. Or the what ifs of contingencies, like oh, what if this doesn't happen? What if, the, and we spend so much energy and we get paralyzed. We don't even take a step. Hmm. Imagine though, if we could say, even if, like God, you're so good and you're so worthy, and even if this doesn't go the way that we think it should, we're going to continue to worship you. The kind of freedom uh, for a church leader, the things you would attempt to do. Hmm. Uh, because you're like, you know, my identity and my acceptance is not at stake here. Um, you know, I'll say even if it's not an excuse for recklessness, it's not just, oh, you know, we'll just do it. But it's a, it's that calculated risk built on faith, the goodness of God, saying we're going to do this for God's glory. And even if it doesn't go exactly the way we want, we're going to continue to worship him. Mm. That's the resolve. That's the thing I want to give to people. And in the as this book has made its way around, what I've found is like the stories that are coming in have been these like, really amazing stories, not just of, oh, I, I know how to endure cancer, or I know how to endure infertility, or I'm, I'm enduring grief. I've been hearing a lot of stories of like, I've decided to take the next step. I've decided to take a kingdom risk, faith-filled risk that I had put on the shelf. And and, and I'm saying, even if, God, I'm going to attempt this for your, 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 your glory. Mm. Man, that's just been such an encouragement. That's such a great word. And I, I think for all of our church leaders and planters out there just to know, because so many of them are so discouraged. Nothing like opening a church on, you know, February of 2020, and then boom, it gets shut down, you know, or mm -hmm. trying to manage a two-year-old church plant during COVID. Uh, and then certainly coming out of it, just the, the, the realization that there aren't as many people with you as you thought there were, but hey, even if, even if this was it, even if it was only for a season, uh, still I would praise you. That's that's incredible. Did, did you teach this as a series at your church? Um, and did you teach it first and then turn it into a book? Or did you write the book first and then teach through it? 
Yeah, so I that's a great question. Uh, and only an author would uh, only a pastor author would be able to it's ask that question. It's the great dilemma too. we all have, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I I spoke one message on this uh, back in 2002. And the reason I can say that date is cuz that was the year I graduated from seminary and got fired from my church and I mean just wow. before I even all the potential was supposed to find itself it was gone. And I preached this message out of Daniel three, because it did, it actually, Rusty enabled me to get back in the ring. Mm. Um, and it was only a one message, Daniel three. And then since 2002 to about 2018, that it's, I've had a basically an Evernote folder full of any type of, even if biblical reference, uh, quote, um, author reference. I just started collecting this, but I never really preached it as a series. I wrote the book and then I, I preached it to my my church and have been uh, preaching it to various different congregations and groups. Some uh, missionaries actually uh, overseas, actually just some missionaries from the some of the most hostile places in the world, and to see this message uh, build resolve and give them encouragement and uh, that's been really really a blessing. Wow. That's so great. Okay, I got to ask you this because I'm, as you mentioned, pastor author. I'm fascinated by how you manage your time. Um, I think everybody out there that's a pastor would love to write a book or at least write a blog. Uh, maybe it's even an ebook that's a few chapters long, but they just don't know how to do it. They don't, uh, you know, they don't have the the time, so they think. Um, we all have the same amount of hours in the day. It's a matter of what we do with it. How do you structure your week so you can write and teach? Yeah, so I mean, I'm when I was writing this book, uh, you know, every I asked that question to so many people, and every writer seemed to have a different window where they're most productive. And you know, some people would go away for two week writing retreat and knock it out. And <laughs> I, mean, I, I got five kids, man. If I went for a two week writing retreat, I wouldn't have a family coming <laughs> back. Um, so the way I laid it out. Um, it was I wrote every Friday on my day off from nine to noon. Oh, that's good. And I just wrote. Yep. And I and and most people wouldn't do this, but I just stopped at noon wherever I was. So I would finish the sentence, and and be done. And then I took some little bit of concentrated runs, like between Christmas and New Year's. Um, I just treated like three days between that time as, you know. And my, my blessed wife, I was like, can I just treat these three days as a work day and just go in? And nobody's in the office, so. I write from nine to five, take a break for lunch. and But that was only that one a week between Christmas and New Year's. But pretty much it was, you know, three hours a, uh, a week, nine to noon, stop wherever I was and then go and do whatever I needed to do. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it worked its way out. You know, some days were like far less productive than others, as you probably know. It really is. Are you familiar with this book called um, The Beautiful Constraint? Mm-mm. What, what? It's a it's a business book and it's yeah. we've been talking about it a lot on the podcast. It keeps coming up. It's brilliant, yeah. but it, it talks about the beauty of having like what you just said a hard stop or a I only have these boundaries. I mean, it really is the difference between a puddle of water and a rushing river. It's really just the boundaries. So mm. being able to say to yourself, "I can only write till noon," gives you a hard stop, and it has a way of generating stuff to add to your your uh, your list of ifs he has something he uses which is the can if 
what can I do if I only have this amount of money, this amount of time, whatever it is. Uh, I have found that to be very freeing. I tried the week writing retreat and I got so bored and I, yeah, you know, yeah. all I was doing was thinking about how I was letting my wife down by being gone, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, with our two daughters and we just have two. Um, yeah. But just being able to say, I got an hour, I'm going to work as hard as I can, then I'm done. And, yeah. and then see what happens. I think a lot of our guys listening could do a lot more and I would tell them to do it because our people are listening a lot more on podcasts than they are on a weekend. And they're reading a lot more during the week than they are on a Sunday morning. So use those avenues because even if your podcast is only reaching your church, you disciple them longer than you do for 20 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah, that's right. You know, I've started this year of 2022. I started writing just a weekly it's kind of like a newsletter, but that doesn't really fit our church culture. I just call it a, a pastor's letter. Yeah. And it's anywhere from 500 to 700 words. And uh, I call it poema. And the idea of like, uh, we are God's poema, his workmanship. And I'll write about rant, like just I'm all I'm trying to do is keep our church connected to the organic nature of what's happening in the church. Yep. And I just committed to do that every week. And if, you know, if there's a listener and you're saying, man, I would love to get started. You know, what do they say? They say that a blank, you can't edit a blank page, mm. right? So start writing something. If you want to write a blog, start writing a paragraph and send it out to your church, but stay consistent with it and within those limits. And you'll kind of develop that, that core habit of, of writing. Um, I had a friend, actually, he was asking me some counsel. He's like, man, you know, do you think I should go after writing a book? And I told him, you know, I believe there's a book in you. The question is, is it now? Is now the time for that book to come out? And I just, you know, anybody listening, I just want to kind of give permission to say, like, you may have a book in you. It doesn't have to come out now. And, man, like, the worst feeling I can imagine is having to write for a paycheck or a contract. Like, mm. no, nah, like, let God percolate the book in you. Form the message, and so you're writing it not to try to make some list, but you're writing as an extension of your ministry mm. to people. So I would I would even add that to like whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog, whether it's a mm. a weekly letter to your church. Start somewhere and stick with it, and and see what God does. You know, our our mutual friend Don Gates uh, has a saying he often uses when uh, authors pitch ideas, and that is. Sounds like a better blog than a book. Mm. You know, in other words, it's a it, it's about five hundred words of goodness, not five thousand. Yeah. So, I found that just the practice of writing a blog. I mean, eventually you could turn a bunch of blogs into a book if they're all kind of under the same heading. But just start writing uh, because it's it's uh, it's worth it for you for your soul. And I think you'd underestimate how much your people in your church just want to hear from your heart. They don't need a three-point sermon. Agreed. They don't need a list of announcements. They just want to know, what are you reading? What are you thinking? What are you doing? Yeah. And that's a pretty good template to start with. I would, that's, I would echo that. And, I mean, if there's anything people take away, I hope that they're hearing you on that because I think that's such a vital part of uh, pastoral ministry yeah. that we don't take advantage of. Well, you know, I, I, the, the joke through COVID was that we get to disciple our people 30 minutes on a weekend and and either Fox or CNN will disciple them the next, you know, 40 <laughs> hours during the week. So we're kind of up against it. Uh, so so get out there for your people. It's true. It's true. But, you know, and with COVID, though, I think people want to stay connected, want to be connected to the church more than ever. Mm -hmm. 
at least those who've stayed with you and, or, and, you know, if other people have moved on, you know, got, it's the great transfer right now. Right. But, uh, I think people want to stay connected to us and, you know, writing's a great medium. Podcast's a great medium. Yeah, um, definitely. Something worth doing. You know? Well, buddy, this has been great. I hope the other thing people get from this podcast is your book, Even If. I think it's brilliant. I think it's needed. I think especially in this age of uh, cancel culture and people being exhausted and having mental anxiety issues, mm-hmm. to be able to say, even if, even if you don't, God, uh, I will I will worship you, I will follow you, I will trust in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the midst of that, they're going to end up seeing that uh, fourth person in the fire just to, uh, to complete the story. Amen. Um, which brings us back to another Hillsong song, correct? Yeah. Which kind of where this all began. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Another in the fire. I mean, that's right. there's just so many. There's so much. There's so many. I actually have a Spotify list that I've put called just even if songs and people have been adding yep. songs that amplify this theme. Um, God doesn't always spare us from the fire, but he will be with us. He will be with us in it. I don't know how we got off on this. I think it's because we started talking about this, but... To finish up our conversation on music, there's a song that I've been listening to on repeat over and over again. By the time we hear this, a song everybody will be burnt out on, but uh, it's called Christ Be Magnified by Cody Carnes. Yes. And he's he's got a line in there where he says, um, if I go through the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Mm-hmm. And it just gives me chills every time thinking about, yeah, the fire may be something we have to endure. And that doesn't mean he's absent. It means he's even closer. So, Amen. Mitchell, this has been really encouraging for me. And I, I really hope our people pick up your book. So where can they find it? Uh, they can find it on Amazon, um, Even If by Mitchell Lee. Uh, you can also head on over to my website, MitchellLee.com, and kind of hear a little bit more. In a couple of weeks, we'll be launching some people's stories okay. around uh, the Even If, their Even If declarations, we call it. And... You might find, you know, if you're listening and you, you head over there, you might find some declarations that really ring true for your your heart. And maybe you'll also want to contribute a declaration uh, yourself. Mm. So MitchellLee.com or even Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever the books are sold, you can check it out. And if you want, you can check out the audiobook. I got to record the audiobook, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> did you like reading it? I did. You know, I walked in. I was like, wait a second. Are you telling me that I can put emotion? Like, basically, I can preach my manuscripts? <laughs> <You know? And laughs> they didn't really know what that meant, but they were like, yeah, sure. And uh, so I had a ton of fun. And I like to joke around with some of my guys here. I'm like, you know, get the audiobook, listen to it so that I can be the last voice you hear when you go to bed. <laughs> you <know>? so, <laughs> That's really so good. It's, it's really creepy, but it's cool, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they're ready to be put to sleep on Sunday morning, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, this has been great, buddy. Thank you so much. Last question for you. Uh, the Washington football team, now the Washington Commanders, do they have any chance in the 2022-23 season? Mm, well, you know, we'll go back to the beginning of this podcast talking about the value of suffering <laughs> and uh, how it forms us. So we don't have really high hopes. But then again, those, you know, we really haven't had high hopes for about two decades. So we just kind of hang in. And, you know, if you if you try to remove all your expectations, you won't be disappointed. And that has been the, you know, Washington football fans life mantra lately. So, um, no, I don't think that there's a high uh, we don't have very high hopes. I'm telling you, Joe Theismann, 
is needing a comeback. So I think he could probably do better than what you've had. So bring him back. Dude, we'll take Mark Rippon at this at this point. <laughs> we'll take Mark Rippon even, man. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, buddy, thanks so much for your time and all the best to you. My joy. Thanks, buddy. Well, I love that conversation. I encourage you to check out his book. It's a great, great read. Next week, we're going to start something brand new we've never done before, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. There's a podcast out there called How I Built This, great podcast about just interviewing entrepreneurs and how they built various organizations and companies, and it's really, really interesting stuff. But I have found that as a pastor for now uh, almost 30 years, I learn more from people and how they broke things, how they made mistakes and what we can learn from their mistakes. And so uh, next week, I'm going to share one of my failures in a little episode I call How I Broke This. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And so make sure you join us next week on Leading Simple. As always, keep it simple. We'll talk to you next week. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.